Well, good morning. Uh, thank you for the beautiful singing uh, and the awkward uh, masks. Uh, so uh, those will be collector's editions one day, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, it's good to be here with you guys. Um, we are, it's the last Sunday of this series we've been in during the summer. I'm looking at these uh, seven statements that Jesus made. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All these different statements that he's made, helping us to understand who he is. Who uh, We don't have to make assumptions. We don't have to work that hard to understand who Jesus is. He tried to tell us. He tried to give us uh, really uh, clear pictures and explanations of who he is um, and the way he sees us and cares for us and, and loves us uh, and wants us to be in a relationship with him. So I'm excited for today um, to, to look at this passage. We're going to look at John 15 is where we're going to end up. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll have a, uh, the verses, I think, on the screens as well, which we have the screen finally mounted. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. So doesn't it look so nice? Uh, all right. Just me? Okay. Uh, happy birthday to me. Uh, no. Uh, so um, I was uh, 17 years old when I decided that I knew what tattoo I was going to get. Uh, and I was so dead set on this. Um, at the time, uh, I was in a metal band, uh, which we have some photographic proof of. Uh, that is me. I know, uh, very handsome, about half as thick as I currently am. Uh, and uh, I was in this band with uh, four other guys that were all four or five years older than I was. And they were all like already four years into the tattoos. And they had like full like chest pieces and sleeves and all this kind of stuff. And I was 17 and just trying to figure everything out. And so I was so confident that I knew what I wanted. And I had to wait, to, you know, I had to wait till I was old enough. And uh, which ended up being a good thing because what I had, what I felt like I wanted at that point in my life um, was I just wanted my whole entire arm to be covered in flames, which at the time, like, this was like in the heyday of Hot Topic, and like all the, I mean, flames were like the coolest thing in the world, and so I was just like, so, like, this is what I want, I want them all over the place, and, uh, and so uh, I had it all planned out, it was going to, you know, just be the coolest idea, and I was going to just be so happy about it, and, you know, when you're 17, you got all kinds of plans and dreams, and uh, no budget for any of it, obviously, and, and so I was trying to figure it out, but by the time I was 20, I still hadn't gotten the tattoo, um, and, uh, and, which is probably a good thing, because my taste and what I wanted changed, and so much in my life had changed uh, from when I was 17 also. I had been on this journey for the last two years, starting when I was about 18 years old, um, and I've talked about this a little bit, but ultimately I was, I was really searching for meaning, and I was searching for happiness. I grew up in the church, and um, I said yes to Jesus at a very young age, um, but never really had a relationship with Jesus. And, and so I didn't really understand what that looked like. And when I was about 18 years old, um, I really kind of ended up in this crisis of belief. Uh, it's not like I just wanted to go party. I just really didn't know if I believed any of it was true. And, and so I was kind of on this search for um, what is meaning, what is happiness. And, and that journey ultimately led me kind of away from Christianity and, and turned me more and more inward over time. Uh, as time went on, I just kind of became more and more inward focused because I'm trying to find out how to be happy 
So you have to look in and figure out, okay, well, what makes you happy then, Chris? I'm trying to find meaning, and so I'm trying to find value and all these types of things, and it was just turning me more and more inward and ultimately left me with the task of having to fix my own flaws, uh, the ones that I could see at least. You know, for me to be happy, for me to find meaning, um, I kind of had to be aware of, and I was aware of my own issues, um, and at this point, I was the only one that could fix them uh, because I didn't really have this understanding and this belief in who God was, and so it kind of left me this place of kind of looking at my own flaws, my own brokenness, and I was the one that was responsible. If anybody's going to fix these things, it's going to be me. Uh, Obviously, it didn't work real well. Um, It left me with the task of finding my own value in myself, Um, you know, because the value that I I had in myself was based on how I felt about myself. And again, going back to the first point, I was aware of all my flaws. And when you are aware of your issues and your brokenness and your problems, and you are also responsible for seeing the value that you have in yourself, it's real hard to do that because you, you got this whole list of, well, I know what all the issues are, and so how do I see myself as valuable? How do I find any sort of like purpose or meaning in who I am and what I bring to the table? And it ultimately left me with the task of in every relationship I was with, uh, I was in with other people, friends, family, uh, whatever it was, I was responsible for caring for them and for loving them in my own strength. Because again, it had all become this inward journey and I kind of like retreated a bit from Christianity. I'd retreated from this idea of not really understanding if there was a God, who he was, how he cared, all of these types of things. And so anything that I wanted to give anybody else, friendship, love, meaning, if I wanted to tell somebody else that they were valuable, all of this stuff came from, it had to come from within who I was, which was a broken person that could not see any possible value in themselves. And so now I'm going to step over here and try and help my friends see value in themselves. I'm going to try and help my family see. And so it was just this insane process and this insane task trying to care for others in my own strength. And, and ultimately, when your goal is happiness, when you're responsible for your own flaws and, and changing and fixing those, and you can't see your own value it is impossible to truly love or care about anybody else. If my goal is happiness, mine, if my responsibility is to fix my own flaws, how could I ever find anything deep enough to truly care about anybody else? It would be an impossible search, and it was an impossible search. So I slowly began to hurt friends and and destroy relationships because the way that I was living was like pooling water from a shallow, dry well. It was all about me. It was what I had to offer, my goodness, my, you know, whatever it was, the value that I had, that I was, this is the well that I had, and you already saw the picture. I was way smaller then, so it wasn't even that big of a well. Uh, that was all that I had to pull from to care for other people. That was all that I had was the value that I saw in myself, the, val- you know, the, the, the worth that I felt like I had. That's all I could offer anybody, and it was not worth much. It was broken and bruised, and, and it wasn't, uh, there really wasn't much there. I didn't have anything for myself, let alone for anyone else. And it's not that I didn't want to care for other people, and it's not that they were asking anything of me that was unfair or unrealistic. I just didn't have anything to give them. I was empty on my own. I wasn't able to give them what they needed. And I wonder if you have ever felt that way. Maybe not 
the journey that I specifically had, but have you had these moments in your life where people are asking things of you that you feel like, that's a fair request, and I cannot meet that need? <laughs> it is fair for me to love you. It is fair for me to be patient with you. Whatever it might be, this is, a, this is an average, normal, human thing that I should be able to offer, but I just have nothing in the tank, so to speak, to give. I think most parents, I know I do, feel this way around this time especially because uh, summer's been going for three months strong. Uh, my kids uh, are tired of me. Uh, I am broke, and I got like another nine days left of entertaining them. And so there's this piece of, uh, all jokes aside, there's this piece of like they are needing these things. And I'm like, man, I feel pretty tapped. Like I don't know how much more I can play Monopoly Junior with you this week, you know, or, or whatever the thing is. And it's like every night, it's like, what are we going to do tomorrow? It's like, I don't know, can we just take them somewhere and check them into a thing? Is there, like, is that an option? Ikea? They got childcare there. Let's just go to Ikea five times. And anytime you choose to go to Ikea for the fun of it, you know you're in a desperate place. So, but we have this with our kids. You know, maybe uh, like me, I experience this a lot when I come home from work and both of my kids run at me wanting all of my attention. And they deserve all of my attention. And there's this piece where it's like, I can't give you what you want. I'm just walking through the door. Maybe you have a friend who's going through some really difficult or, or heavy things in their life, maybe relational things or health-wise, and, and you... You want to be there for them, and you know that you should be there for them, but right now you just feel like, I just don't feel like I have anything else to give. I just feel like I'm running on empty. Maybe your spouse or your significant other or somebody you're dating, uh, they're looking for, they need some sort of attention or focus in this moment, and you're just at a place where you just don't have, you're like trying to draw water out of this empty well, and it's like, I just, I don't have anything else to give in this moment. I feel like we've all had these types of experiences. It's not that their desire or their request is wrong, it's just that we're drained, that we don't have anything to offer. And I think we've all treated someone poorly out of exhaustion. It's safe to say there's different types of exhaustion, and I would say that we could all find one of these probably in the last 24 hours, that we have probably mistreated somebody out of uh, physical exhaustion, emotional exhaustion, spiritual exhaustion, mental exhaustion, probably should add financial exhaustion on there. Like we have all had these experiences where we mistreat somebody because we're exhausted. And it's not that we wanted to mistreat them. It's not that they were asking us for anything that they shouldn't have asked us for. It's just that we were empty. Um, and I feel like there's uh, so many of us, we're not able to care for the people that we love in the way that we want to because we live our lives on empty. Um, striving tired, anxious, sleepless. Uh, and so we have to figure out what is the solution? How do we work through this? And the last I am statement that Jesus makes, I think addresses this really clearly. And it's given me a lot of hope over the years. Um, and even this last week as I've been preparing for this, it's in John 15. I feel like I'm going to cry today. I'm just going to put that out there now. Uh, so let's move on. Um, John 15, uh, and this is a passage. So um, ultimately, when I got a tattoo, uh, it was after I started kind of crawling my way back into 
um, a relationship with Jesus. And uh, so I got a tattoo that ultimately represents a few different aspects of that journey. And a major piece of it is this vine that wraps around this sword that's crushing through a skull. It's a long story. But this vine, uh, I picked this because of John 15, because of this passage and what it means for me um, and what I needed to remember in those moments, in that point in my faith. And it turns out what I've needed to remember over years and years of following Jesus. Verse one, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And this passage goes on. And he says, remain in me about nine other times. Continuing over and over again. And some of you guys are like, does Jesus have an issue? Like, does he remember the things that he said? Because he is being extremely repetitive in this passage. But he is trying to make a really point, uh, uh, important point. This conversation that happens, we actually can historically know where they had the conversation. This was after the Last Supper, that meal where they all sat on the same side of the table. This was after that dinner. Uh, at the end of John 14, it says, so they all went out. And so they went for this walk, and they were walking from the town to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is we know where this is. And so on this journey, we can actually... Uh, kind of, we can look at maps, we can look at pictures and see what's around in that area. But in this time, and even still today, um, this area was, there was wine vineyards everywhere. This was like the Napa of its day, uh, probably with way less bachelorette parties, but it was like, this was, this was the thing. Um, and so they're on this walk and there's vineyards and, and, and uh, wine, not wineries, but there's vineyards everywhere. This was like the crop. This was the region. And so they, it's kind of all over the place. And on this journey where they're walking, where they can probably see these vines, they are also walking. And on the left-hand side, they would have had to walk by the temple, which was at this point, the temple was still standing. And, and we can know from history, we can know from all kinds of different sources in the Bible and other sources that the temple at this point the, the gate that they would have walked by was carved out of gold to be a giant grapevine. And uh, one historian named Josephus, which is just like the most redneck name ever, but uh, he wrote about this vine and he described it and he said, the clusters of grapes on this vine were as tall as a man. So it's not like some cool like little mural over a doorway, like there is a giant vine made out of gold, hanging over the top of this gate with man-sized grape clusters. Uh, and so Jesus is walking with the disciples, telling them these things. And so you have to kind of get yourself in a place of there's vines everywhere. There's a giant gold vine right there. The idea of a vine to the people of Israel was a meaningful thing. They, they kind of referred to themselves as the vine. They kind of looked at themselves this way. You'll see this throughout the Old Testament through the, the Psalms. They, they talk about the vine over and over again, and it's talking about the people of Israel. The vine was on a lot of their coins. It was this symbol that they held onto, and it represented all of who they were. And all of who they were was 
the law and the prophets. It was rules and culture and systems, and they weren't all bad things, but it was this very static set of things. And so this was what they put their full kind of, all of their meaning was represented in the vine. It was like their version of a bald eagle, essentially. I mean, this was kind of how they viewed this. So you have to picture this conversation. Jesus is walking with the disciples, and you can almost picture him passing by this gaudy gold grapevine and just kind of turning and never acknowledging it, but just saying, I am the true grapevine, not the symbol behind me, not this temple, the, the holiest place that they had at that time. Not, not this is what you should get life in. I and the true grapevine. As they're walking by the holiest place they had with one of the most sacred symbols they knew of, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I'm a better symbol of what you should be known for. I'm a better source of life than your laws and your rules and your traditions. And I am the true vine, not the shallow, dry well that you've been going to for years and years to find meaning and love and purpose and value in all of these things. I am a better source. I am the true vine. And so what does this metaphor mean? We can kind of start to, to make some assumptions, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, Jesus, the true vine, is our source of life love, vitality, and energy. Jesus is saying, I am the source of life and love and vitality and energy and everything that you could ever possibly give to anybody else. I am the true source. I am the true vine of this. And we are the branches, which is just, I mean, haven't you always wanted to be a branch? Uh, we are the branches. We are to bear fruit in order to enrich the lives of others through nurturing acts of love, through the way that we care for people, the way we care for our friends, for our neighbors, for our enemies, for those that persecute you. Uh, yes, that includes your children at the end of summer. Like this is, we are supposed, we're the branches and we're, we're told to, by Jesus, bear fruit. This is the role. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. The branches act as a conduit for life and love and vitality and energy that we receive from the vine who is Jesus and we pass it on to others. This is the fruit that we pass on. So just a, by way of a, a fun little quiz here, Jesus is the vine. A little more ex excitement here, guys. Come on. We are the, yes. And the way that I care for others is the fruit. Some of you are like, wine, please? That would really help me care for others. If I could just get, no. Uh, Jesus is the vine. I am the branches or the branch and the way that I care for others is the fruit. And how does the fruit form? How does fruit grow and be filled with life and the nutrients? It literally forms by draining the life out of the branch. And some of you parents are like, oh, I get this metaphor. The fruit forms and it becomes what it is and it becomes healthy and juicy and whatever it is, literally by draining the life from the branch. And the branch, if it's disconnected from the vine, does not have any source replenishing it. And so back to my original story of how I was trying to care for myself and care for others, back to this week of how I'm trying to care for my kids, back to your office and your homes and your hobbies and the way that you're trying to do things, 
the things that you're trying to offer people is the fruit and they are draining the life out of you and it's a beautiful thing when you continue to be connected to the vine. When you continue to be connected to the source of life and love and vitality and energy the way that Jesus is. If the fruit is draining life out of me and I end up on empty, where do I get my life from? I should be getting it from the vine. The fruit is what people need to be loved, enriched, cared for, valued. This is, this is what we offer. They don't need a branch. People aren't looking for a branch. We can't offer them a branch. What Jesus is inviting us to offer them is the fruit. They especially don't need a disconnected branch. Jesus didn't say, I am the vine and you are the fruit. <laughs> it doesn't have quite the same ring to it. He didn't say, I am the vine and you are only as good as the good works that you do for other people. He didn't say, I am the vine and the only value that you have is in that other people can drain the life from you. He's saying, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me. This is what we're called, commanded, invited to do. It is not about what we can offer others. It's about remaining in him. Jesus didn't say that we're the fruit. He said we're the branches. We have a role to play, and it's to be a branch. And so I want us all to say out loud together, I am a branch. I am a branch. I'll turn to the person next to you and say, you look like a branch, <laughs> a very slender branch. We have a role to play. Jesus clearly said, I am the true vine. You are the branch. Remain in me and I will remain in you. I know some of us want to be the fruit. Some of us feel like we need to be the fruit. I am in my nature. I am a helper. And I feel like I am only as valuable to people as I am helpful to people. And this is me trying to be fruit. Not trying to produce fruit. I think I am valuable, not because I'm a branch connected to the vine, but because I want to become the fruit. And I feel like so many of us in different ways, we want to be fruit. And we feel like we are failing people if we are not able to give them what they need. If, we're not, if we can't be full of everything that every person needs all the time, and if we're not solving problems, they're not even asking us to solve those problems for them, but we're showing up and we're like, here's some fruit for you. And it's just like, we're just doing our thing, trying to be as fruity as possible. That had to be said at some point. We're just going for it over and over and over again. And Jesus is like, no, you are not the fruit. You are the branch. And your responsibility is to remain in me. And when you do that, fruit will be produced. And as a sub-point, when branches start acting like the fruit, things get unhealthy real quick. And if you have in your mind that you are what you can do for other people, that you are the fruit, you are the source of life and love and all these types of things for these other people, then you will start to drain other branches. You will require other people to fill you, not the vine. 
When you start to think that it's all about you and what you can offer and what you can accomplish and what you can do and what problems you can solve, it moves you into this place where you start relying on other branches, other people to make up for your shortcomings. And I have to wonder how many of us are striving hard to produce fruit, to enrich the lives of others, to, to care for our children, for our spouses, for our coworkers, while at the same time being cut off from the vine, being disconnected from God himself, the source of life and energy and, and love and all of these things. I, I wonder how many of us on a day-to-day are trying to give people what they need and we are disconnected, not getting what we need first and foremost. As a result, we get angry with people. We snap at people. We mistreat those we love the most. This is just the list of things that I've done to my family the last few days. This is just the reality of it. When we see ourselves as our good works, when we see the value that we have and only if I am helpful or valuable or meaningful to other people, when that is how we view ourselves, it drains us, it disconnects us from the source, and ultimately it makes us really miserable people to be around. What you once felt like was a gift, like everybody needs me, they, I am helpful, they start to distance themselves from you because they're like, hey, you're kind of being a jerk. You are stressing me out. It is not fun to be around you. I don't feel encouraged when I'm around. I try and avoid you. I'm walking on eggshells around you. This is what happens when we are disconnected from the source and we try to become the fruit that people need for life and love and energy. We draw water from an empty well. And if we've got nothing to give to those that we love most, if I have nothing left to give to my family, to my kids, to, to my friends, then how in the world will I have anything to give my enemies? How could I possibly love and forgive the people that have hurt me if I can't even love the people that I like? <laughs> how can I possibly care for the people that work down the hall from me or in another cubicle or in another office building? How can I possibly show up and continue to show them grace and mercy when I can't even bring myself to show grace or mercy to my spouse or to my family? We have, to, we have to step back and look at these things, look at the way that we're acting and look at the way that we, we find ourselves drained at the end of the day. And we have to wonder and ask, why is this? Here's the bottom line. If you can only take one thing away from this message today, it would be that your ability to love others hinges upon your awareness of God's love for you. Your ability to love others, to give others what they need, sometimes it's distance. And everybody said, Amen. Sometimes it's forgiveness. Sometimes it's sitting down for a coffee with somebody that you're like, this is gonna be the worst hour of my week, but I know that they need this and I can give it to them because I'm connected to the source of life. Your ability to love others, it hinges on your awareness, your connectedness to God's love for you. You're remaining in the vine, as Jesus said, because being connected to God brings depth and health to everything else. When your connection with God is weak, you will be weak too. So how do we grow a strong connection to the vine? We have to ask this. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me. So how do we remain in him? How do we grow a strong connection? There's four things. We're gonna move through these pretty quick. The first one is that it's organic. 
And some of you guys are like, yes, I already like Whole Foods. We're good to go. Uh, it's organic. There's a, a picture that Jesus is u- using of, of a grapevine and the gardener and, and this idea, this was a, a, in the culture at that point in time, everybody would understand what this likes, but I don't really dabble in horticulture very much at this point. I kill almost every plant that's ever been in my house. And so there's this aspect of understanding what this means, that it's organic, this relationship, this connection to the vine, this relationship that we have with Jesus, it also is organic. It's not mechanical or systematic. It's not this process like uh, even the disciples would have thought of when they looked at the temple, when they see this gold vine, when they, they understand the law, they're like, this is how I stay in a relationship with God. It's by doing, 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 not doing, not doing, not doing. This is the way I'm in a relationship. And Jesus is saying, no, it's much more organic than that. It's a living thing. It ebbs and it flows with the seasons of life. Sometimes you're in the middle of a storm. Sometimes you're in the middle of a drought. Sometimes you just, you have no idea what's going on, our relationship with God, our connection with God, it is not a system, and the way that it works today is not necessarily the way that it'll work tomorrow or next year. It is organic, and it's changing. It depends on whether or not you're unemployed, whether or not you're happily married, whether or not you're pregnant. All of these factors of life affect our relationship with God. It depends on how happy you are at your job. It depends on how much money you have in your bank. All of these factors, positive, negative, whatever it is, they are all factors in our life and they all change the way that we view and interact with God. And we have to become okay with that. We have to become okay with the fact that it is a relationship. It is not a set, uh, standardized feeling. It's a relationship. Like the person that you're sitting beside is a relationship. And and you're aware, you can say, man, it's not the same every single day. There's outside factors that impact this relationship. Our relationship with God is the same. It's organic. We have to be able to make adjustments because it's alive. It's a relational aspect. The second thing, the second way that we can grow a strong connection to the vine is that it's exclusive, One piece of fruit can't grow from multiple vines at the same time. There's this piece of this exclusivity that Jesus is saying, I am the true grapevine. We talked about this a little bit last week when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's this exclusive invitation. And when you start to funnel off life from another source, for a while it might make sense, for a while it might work, but ultimately that source will fail you and then you will end up frustrated and understanding why, trying to understand why you are not full of life and love and vitality and the energy that you can get from the source of Jesus. The third one is that it's continuous. It's not sporadic. We have to stay connected. I don't remember who said this. I heard this like 10 years ago and I've never really forgotten it. Um, It doesn't mean that I've always put this into practice. But they said, if and they were talking about kind of ongoing, like daily connection with God. So reading your Bible, prayer, um, solitude, listening, whatever it might be. They're saying, if you're disconnected from God for one day, God notices. If you're disconnected from God for two days, the people around you notice. And it's not until the third day that you start to notice. 
There's this part for us where our spouses, my wife knows before I do whether I'm in a good spot or not. The people that are close to me, my friends know whether or not I'm in a good space before I do or not. But there's this piece of this relationship of being connected to the vine that it's a continuous process. It's not about walking away and coming back. Branches don't detach from the vine and do their own thing for a month and then come back and be like, well, let's reattach now. And tomorrow I would like all of the energy and the meaning and the purpose and the value that I'm longing. And then I'll detach again and go away. I mean, it's a continuous connection that we need to have We have to continue to stay connected to the vine, to the source of life. This shows up in all kinds of different ways. Reading your Bible as often as you can, which feels like this unattainable goal because it's like, what does that mean? Do I have to read a chapter a day or a verse a day or... But being filled with the truth of God's word, how he views and sees and cares for you and wants to use you being in that on a consistent basis is a way to stay connected. Prayer, groups, growth groups with other people, um, all these different ways of staying connected into the source in a continuous way. Um, Discover 2, we actually talk about this a lot in Discover 2. We talk about the ways to grow in your relationship with Jesus, how to stay connected in that way. Um, the fourth one is... Um, a relationship, a connection to the vine is consistently cultivated. Jesus said, I am the vine. My father is the gardener. There's pruning involved, the cutting away of attitudes and habits and actions that aren't productive for us. And it's interesting because in this passage, he says, any branch that doesn't bear fruit, he cuts off and throws away. Any branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it continues to be healthy. So pruning isn't a punishment. <laughs> it's not an indictment of the value, that, uh, negative value that he sees in you. Pruning is, is just a natural part of growing. Pruning is a natural part of being healthy. It's not a punishment. It's an act of love helping you become more full of the life that God has. It doesn't mean that it feels good. All the time, though. Uh, My first job um, when I was interning in ministry school, um, I was able to get a job at this church. Uh, I was still an intern, um, but I needed money, um, and so we figured it out. And so they hired me on. My first role was a janitor at this church. And I, of course, uh, had it say custodial engineering on my business card because that sounded way cooler than janitor. Uh, but it was like this all-inclusive role, aka whatever we need done today is what you're going to do today. And so I was like, great, uh, it's money and I'll, I'll figure it out. And so I did everything from cleaning toilets to setting up chairs to organizing classrooms and, and all kinds of stuff. But this was in Corona and it was really hot and they had these trees kind of everywhere and these giant planters and they just kept dying and I couldn't figure out why. And so then I was tasked with this, we'll figure out why they're dying. And so I had to go and start learning about these things. And and long story short, I don't remember what kind of trees they were, but these planter boxes were huge. And these trees were pretty tall and about that, the, the trunk was about that big around. And so this guy was trying to show me and explain to me what was going on and why these trees weren't getting the life that they needed to from the water and from the root systems. And, and so he's showing me all of these little, what I would have considered new branches And he's like, these are called suckers. And they suck 
the nutrients out of the tree before it can ever reach the branches up top. He's like, so the most important thing that you can do every day is just tear off all of these suckers that start to grow and sprout on these tree stalks or trunks, not stalks, that's celery. Uh, like I said, I'm very good with gardens. Um, and so there's this piece of then every single day I would walk by these trees and I would have to tear these suckers off because they would just be stealing nutrients out of the water, stealing nutrients that would never be able to make it to the branch. And there's this aspect of pruning that Jesus is talking about, this idea of being cultivated, that pruning involves cutting things back and cutting things off. And there are some things or habits or people that we need less of. And there are some things and habits and people that we need none of. <laughs> and there's an invitation to the cultivation of our relationship, of our connection with the vine, our relationship with Jesus, with the source of life and love and, and forgiveness and, and, and all these things that it continues to need to be cultivated. It doesn't mean that things aren't good or things that are necessarily, that doesn't necessarily make them bad. It just means that, man, could you do less of that? I accidentally downloaded this game two weeks ago on my phone that I could not stop playing. And about four days in, I hadn't eaten in 48 hours. No, I was kidding. Uh, I deleted this thing off my phone because I literally could not stop playing this game. I'm not even going to tell you what it is because I don't want it to happen to you. But there was a piece for me where it was like, man, this game isn't a bad thing. It's very enjoyable. And I think it's making me smarter and more good looking and whatever it is. But it's like I literally had to just delete it off my phone because it was taking an inordinate amount of my time and attention. And so I don't know what it is for you. There's these four things, this relationship, this connection, being organic, being exclusive, truly going to Jesus alone for the source of life and meaning and forgiveness and hope, of it being a continuous connection, the reality that this relationship needs to be cultivated. It can't just, it's not like a set it and forget it type of situation. It's, it's an ongoing process of, of pruning and changing and developing one of these things has got to resonate with each one of us, if not multiple of these things. This is the invitation that Jesus is inviting us into when he's walking with the disciples. I am the true vine. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do some things. You can do most of the things. You can do nothing apart from me. You will run dry. You will start to become more inward focused like I was. I was completely disconnected. And anything that I wanted to give anybody else, could, it only could come from me. And I was empty and disconnected and broken and really messed up. And so there's this piece of becoming reconnected to the vine that was so critical for me, not only for my own salvation, but for the relationships with people that I had, for the type of person I wanted to become, for the hopes and dreams that I had. It is only possible because of my connection to the vine. So we're going a little bit longer than I intended to. Um, but I quickly want to say, we talked about these four ways that we can grow our connection to the vine, but there are three different things that can help us 
if you feel disconnected, these are ongoing things. One of them is reorienting environments. One of them is reorienting exercises. And the third one is reorienting, which is a difficult word to say three times in a row, ideas. Reorienting environments or being in a place that reorients you towards what is true, towards what is right, to what is meaningful and good. And, and church is one of those places. Uh, a growth group during the week is one of those places. Maybe for you, it's going for, uh, to the beach is one of those places. Uh, uh, camping in the mountain, I don't know what it is for you, but there's reorienting environments. Maybe it's a dinner table of a close friend that somehow just reorients you to truth and to life. The second one is exercises. Not exercising, obviously. Uh, reorienting exercises. So this is spending time reading the truth that's in the Bible. Prayer. Uh, this can be spending time in silence or solitude. This could be all kinds of different things. This could be exor like actual exercise. Some of you people like that kind of thing. Uh, I have a friend who talked about these different types of pray um, prayers that he would do. Uh, he would say, um, I want I fear and I surrender. And so he would kind of go through this thing, here's what I want, here's what I'm afraid of, and here's what I am surrendering over to God in this moment. And he would just do this over and over again to, to reorient himself towards the truth. And then the third one is reorienting ideas. So this could be a scripture or a quote or a saying, something that you heard somewhere that is true but doesn't necessarily feel true. You know that it is true, but today, it doesn't feel like it's that true. And these three types of things, reorienting environments, exercises, and ideas, these are three things that we can be aware of to help us stay connected to the vine. There is an, a reality for us that we've only got a certain amount of time disconnected from the vine before Jesus before we need him to, to meet us, to fill us. We only have a certain amount of time disconnected from the vine. We can only give so much to our family or to our friends or, or to our work or to our enemies. Uh, we can only do so much when we're disconnected. Ultimately, we have to stay connected to the vine. I am the true vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, the words of Jesus, the, the pictures that he was willing to draw for us to help us understand who he is, the way that you love us, the invitation to be connected with you, to trust solely in you. And God, as we focus in on this one passage today, this idea of you being the vine, of us being the branches. Would you help us remember that? We all have these moments where we want to force fruit. We want to be fruit. We want to be the source of what everybody needs. We want other people. We require that of other people in our lives. But God, would you remind us that the only source for life, for love, for the ability to nurture people around us, to care for others, the only way that we can continue to find that strength is by being connected with you. So would you remind us of that?
Would you help us take the intentional steps that we need to take to be connected, to find the environments and the exercises of the ideas, to, to, to understand what is it that I need to do to stay connected? Would you make that clear to us in this moment? And God, if there's anybody in here that has been living for days, for years, whatever it might be, disconnected from the vine. Maybe they've never put their trust in you. Maybe they've just kind of disconnected and have been trying to muster the strength on their own. God, I I know what that's like and I know that it can be an incredibly defeating journey. And so God, I just pray that you would speak to those people that are here this morning that you would give them the confidence and the clarity to know that they can come back to you. That there is an open arm and a welcoming for them, for what they need, for who they are. I know a lot of times we feel fear or shame or guilt because, well, I haven't done this in a few days and I don't want to start today or whatever it might be. But God, I just pray that you would remove that from each person in this room. God, help us stay connected to you, the true source of life, the vine. Help us remain. In Jesus' name, amen.